This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is a BBC Radio 4 archive edition of Alistair Cook's Letter from America. Good morning. Westward, the course of empire takes its way. It's a quotation that in this country is as well known as any tag from Shakespeare or the Bible. But I find that if you mention it and wonder idly where it came from, most people guess that whoever said it was talking about California and repeating in another form the advice of a 19th century American editor to go west, young man. The surprising truth is that it came from an English divine, or rather an Anglo-Irish bishop, writing in the early 18th century. None other, in fact, than the great Bishop Berkeley, the philosopher after whom Berkeley College at Yale was named. By the way, it's pronounced Berkeley in America because that was the normal pronunciation of that and many similar words when the American colonies were founded. It was only later that in England the pronunciation gradually shifted from, for instance, clerk into Clark, and Sturve into Starve, and the Middle English Sergeant into Sergeant. Well, what Bishop Berkeley, Berkeley, was writing about, with remarkable foresight, was the prospect of planting arts and learning in America. And the line comes from a poem with that title. The whole short passage, four lines, goes like this. Westward the course of empire takes its way, the first four acts already passed. A fifth shall close the drama with the day. Time's noblest offspring is the last. If he were alive today, he would no doubt foresee a sixth act in the human drama and see the course of empire, by which he meant power, being played out along the Pacific Rim, Japan, China, Korea. Or perhaps, if he was more clairvoyant still, he would foresee the next great convulsion in Eastern Europe, and only after that settles, then Asia taking over. But we are brought back to what most Americans assume was meant by the famous phrase, by a newspaper piece just published which uses westward the course of empire as the headline on the dramatic news last Tuesday that came out of California. Not the royal tour of Mr. Gorbachev, which ended in San Francisco to a cheering tumult of citizens, the like of which has not been seen since the San Francisco giants paraded through the town after winning the National League pennant. By the next evening, the Tuesday, Mr. Gorbachev was gone and half forgotten in the excited anticipation of what was going to happen to a statewide election. The governorship of California may seem to strangers very much of a local event, but California, it has been calculated, handles an economy that is surpassed by only eight other nations in the world. And in America, California, 
as I hinted from out there a few weeks ago, has become the most progressive state in the nation. On second thought, progressive is the wrong word. It suggests ideology. But I mean the state which moves first on the big issues that engross or divide the republic. Call it rather than the most politically active state. Well, today Washington and most of the states watch which way California is going. Because, firstly, it holds its primary elections early in the spring, but mainly because California is the most powerful and most populous state with more members in the lower house, the House of Representatives, than any other state. Ten, fifteen, perhaps twenty years ago, California supplanted New York State as a barometer of national political opinion. So what was the big news? Uh, Superficially, last Tuesday, for the first time in the history of the state, a woman won the Democratic nomination for governor. The election, of course, is in November. Diane Feinstein, a handsome brunette who was the first woman mayor of San Francisco, set her sights higher so long ago as 1984, when she hoped and tried to become the chosen vice presidential running mate of Jimmy Carter's vice president, Mr. Mondale. Remember him? Mrs. Feinstein came to be mighty glad she was not chosen. Instead, Mr. Mondale picked Mrs. Geraldine Ferraro of the New York Borough of Queens, and they were both massacred and lost to politics forever in Mr. Reagan's second landslide. So last fall, Mrs. Feinstein announced she was going to try for the governorship. She was, of course, very well known in San Francisco and Northern California, which is noticeably more liberal in its bias than the rest of the state. Most of the California votes, over 60%, are concentrated in a few teeming counties in Southern California, in Los Angeles County most of all. And down there, Mrs. Feinstein was an outlander, almost a stranger. But she campaigned all through the winter there against a more moderate conservative Democrat, and she hammered away at her strong belief in the right to abortion. This remains a crackling issue everywhere, and if the results of two other primaries are anything to go on, the pro-life movement has its back against the wall. However, what other states were watching, most of all in Washington, the House of Representatives, which is the body responsible for the final national budget, was another issue altogether, and it was decided on Tuesday in a typically California way. I've talked before about California's devotion to what are called propositions, issues put down on the ballot forms to be decided by popular referendum. The crucial item this time was Proposition 111. It was stark and simple. Ought California to double the state petrol tax? It's now nine cents on the gallon. Were the people willing to have it go to 18 cents? 
Outside California, even I think here in New York, it's difficult to sense the magnitude of this proposal. California has more cars than people. In a state that, planted on a map of Europe, would stretch from Birmingham to Naples, those cars burn up more miles of driving than any other five states in the Union. The suggestion of a petrol tax has come up in many other states. Fifteen have passed it. In some of the prairie states, it has been angrily rejected by the people on whom the burden would fall disproportionately on farmers who have to drive 60 miles to the nearest town and in some places in Kansas and Nebraska run up about 100 miles a day just patrolling their enormous acreage. But the vote on Proposition 111 was being watched nationally because of its symbolic significance. Would it tell President Bush that the country no longer cared to read his lips, that finally the long Reagan paradise of lower taxes, or none, was over? I ought to say at once that Mr. Reagan managed to impose quite a wad of new federal taxes, but they were called by other names, revenue enhancements, mostly. It has been the triumph of Mr. Reagan, prolonged by Mr. Bush, to have the people define taxes as income taxes. And not even the Democrats have moved to propose what many people now believe is bound to come, a frank rejigging of the federal income tax code, an increase in the taxes of the top third of the taxpayers. Well, the Californians answered 111 with a pretty resounding yes. Every gallon of petrol will go up gradually over the next five years from 9 cents to 18. It's going to cost every California motorist about $60 a year. And in the next five years, we'll add to the state treasury several billion dollars. For what? Ah, there might have been the reason for the vote. The money is to be used exclusively for the repair and maintenance of the state's highways and to support more mass transport. They're even beginning to rehabilitate the railways to take the appalling load of traffic off the motorways. This in a state which was the first to build eight-lane freeways. In the late 1950s, the Los Angeles freeway was one of the wonders of the country. People used to boast about how they could get from this suburb on the coast to another suburb far inland in 20 minutes instead of an hour or more. Well, after 30 years, the whole state is laced with freeways and overpasses and colossal spaghetti patterns of motorways. But a study, which also may have had something to do with the vote, came out last week predicting that if things stood where they are today by 2,000, only 10 years from now, the average speed of the working commuters, who are just as plentiful both ways, from the central suburbs into the valleys, from the valleys home to the central suburbs, the average speed during the three morning rush hours and the three evening rush hours would be just over seven miles an hour. Pollution, of course, was uh, a factor in the approving vote. Only recently the California legislature passed 
the toughest law controlling the emission of pollutants, and the motor car is a famous emitter. It may be wrong to deduce too much from Mrs. Feinstein's victory. She is, you understand, only halfway there. She will meet in November, as her Republican opponent, a popular, moderate, conservative senator, a United States senator. And nobody at the moment is saying how that race will go. But the petrol tax decision is likely to have as much of an effect on the country as the vote on any other issue that will emerge from other coming primaries. There was, incidentally, a section of Proposition 111 that loosened previous limits set on the power of the state, California, to spend public money. So the famous Dr. Arthur Laffer, author of The Laffer Curve, which claimed to show that lower tax rates brought in more revenues. This theory inspired Mr. Reagan's drastic lowering of taxes. Dr. Laffer has been heard from. He lamented the California vote and mourned for its future. It is, he said, a wholesale elimination of the tax revolt. He confidently predicted the slowing down of California's economy and, if more states follow its lead, a return to the old Democrats' spend-and-tax days. And after that, no doubt, the end of the Republic. That was Letter from America with Alastair Cook. You can find more Letters from America and thousands of other programmes for curious minds on the Radio 4 website. When you need your bank, Capital One is right in the palm of your hand. So you can check your balance, deposit checks, pay bills, and transfer money from your phone with a top-rated app. This is banking reimagined. Get started online anytime. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC.